helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Broadcasting from the Music City, we are so grateful for your download. Hard to believe that December is already here. That means 2016 is right around the corner. It's unbelievable. And so we're going to focus on goals this podcast. Goals. Because the fact of the matter is that most people will get into resolutions oh, about a week or so before the new year. And we know from data that New Year's resolutions very rarely work. But goal setting and goal execution, that's what stands the test of time. Dave is a master teacher on goals. The guy is a professional goal achiever. I mean, he really is a guy who understands this. And uh, so we're going to hear from Dave on goals. We're going to actually let him read to you out of the number one New York Times bestselling book, Entree Leadership, from the book on goals. It's a longer passage than we've been giving you, but it's worth it. And I think the timing's perfect as you begin to take an assessment on your 2015 and look forward to 2016. And then we want to model somebody who's just like you, an entree leader, someone who started something, who believes in something, and has walked through Entree Leadership Master Series, is an alumni, and we had him in the studio, Jim Caval. Jim is the president of Iron Tribe. You're going to hear their story, how they're winning big because they understand goal setting. So we're going to inspire you with Dave, and then we're going to educate you on somebody who's just like you who's winning because they understand how to do it. Speaking of someone who understands goals, Infusionsoft does. They are powering this podcast. We're so grateful for them. As you're thinking about 2016, you need to be thinking about how they can help you, the small business leader. Infusionsoft.com slash entree. Infusionsoft.com slash entree. Well, this is a treat. When you have the man himself, Dave Ramsey, reading to you from his book, Entree Leadership on Goal Setting. So let's get right to it. Here's Dave. Goals are visions and dreams with work clothes on. When you lay out exactly what you want to do in detail, you immediately start feeling the room move and the earth shake. You are pulled into your new life like some scene from a movie. Goals help make great men. J.C. Penney once said, Give me a stock clerk with a goal, and I will give you a man who will make history. Give me a man without a goal, and I will give you a stock clerk. Goals that work have five components. You must address each of these components to have a real goal that will work. Remember, goals are not wishes, dreams, or even visions. Goals are bringing those things down to earth, and with our feet planted firmly on the ground, we begin to take actual action steps to make our dreams come true. You really have to do all five of these things to have an actual goal and actually accomplish those goals. The first two components, goals must be specific and goals must be measurable. Goals cannot be vague. Vague goals are not goals. They are dreams and wishes. And you don't want to end up being one of those dreamers who do nothing. You can't simply say, I want to lose weight. That is not specific enough. You can't say you want to be better educated. That is not measurable or specific. I want to make more money is a dream and won't happen. Because while more money is measurable, it is not specific. So you should set goals by saying things such as, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want a waist that is four inches smaller. I want to make $100,000 per year. 
I want a college degree in this specific subject. I want to have dinner with six couples. Each of these goals is specific and measurable. One of the powers of goal setting is that it pulls you toward your goals because they are clearly set before you. Properly set goals can be put on the front of your refrigerator or on the whiteboard at the office, giving all who see them the ability to measure your progress. Measurable progress is called traction. When you can observe your movement towards your goals, it pumps you up. Third, goals must have a time limit. Goals without a time limit are unable to be broken down into micro goals to measure your progress to observe your traction. You might say, I want to write a book. Great. When? In 20 years? In 20 months. If you don't put a deadline on the goal, it will never happen and you will get to eat the bitter fruit of regret. If you say you want to make $100,000, that is not good enough. If you say you want to make $100,000 in this year, now we have something. I eat lunch in our lunchroom most every day because I'd rather eat my wife's leftovers than restaurant food, because I can eat faster, I've never had a lunch hour in my life, and because I get to hang out with my team. We joke, talk football, and sometimes even discuss business. I was sitting with one of my young sales guys a while back, and he decided to impress the boss by telling me he was going to make $100,000 this year. I've been in sales and managed salespeople my whole life, so I didn't believe him. I asked him how many calls a week he had to average to make $100,000, and he didn't know, so I told him he was full of it. This hurt his little feelings, and so I pulled him into my office and gave him a lesson in goal setting. He's on a 10% commission, so he needs to bring in a million a year in revenue to be paid $100,000. That's $83,000 per month, or about $21,000 per week. We know in his area what our average ticket sale is and how many actual quality relational contacts have to be made to result in one sale. So the math was easy. And my young talker now began to understand that he had to make 64 quality contacts every week to make $21,000 in revenue, which when multiplied out ends up making him $100,000 in income. I watch our sales reports, which include activity by our reps, and I noticed for the next several weeks he was averaging well above 60 contacts, so he was going to hit his goal. I went by his work area and congratulated him. About six weeks later, I noticed his call volume had dropped to about 35 contacts per week, and I ran into him in the lunchroom again. I asked him why he had abandoned his goal, and he replied that he hadn't. So we have another teachable moment. If you don't do the things to hit the goal within the time allocated, that goal will condemn you and call you a dreamer. Interestingly, his call volume went back up, and he's gone on to be one of our better producers. The problem with hype is that you might even believe it. Winning is hard work. There are no substitutes. Fourth, the goals must be your goals. My wife wants me to lose 30 pounds. That will never happen. My mother wanted me to be a doctor. I don't want to be your patient. My father wanted me to be a preacher. I want a preacher called by the father, not by his dad. If you don't own the goal and it doesn't come from your dream, then you won't have the toughness to persevere when the going gets tough. And I will promise you that the going will get tough. And fifth, goals must be in writing. For some reason, this last component is the one where everyone drops the ball. 
It sounds good to put your goal in writing, but almost no one does it. And the correlation is clear. Almost no one wins. Winners are so strange that we admire them deeply. With very few exceptions, winners have written goals. It is almost impossible to accomplish something big without a written blueprint. One of my most prized possessions is a cheap faux leather binder that contains all my goal list and prayer lists from 15 to 20 years ago. On one of the pages from 1993 is the genesis of one of the biggest areas of our company. In doing one-on-one financial counseling, I was becoming very frustrated. I would sit down with clients and begin to lay out their budget, showing them how they could pay their bills with the income they had, and even begin working their way out of debt. I would get on the phone and stop their foreclosure, their repossessions, and negotiate a program that made the numbers fit within their income with their credit card companies. Problem solved. They were on their way. Then too many times they would file bankruptcy and fail six weeks later. This is the part where I yelled in frustration. It began to dawn on me that personal finance is not a math problem. It is a behavior problem. A budget and one meeting was not going to modify their behavior. So one morning I was setting goals, brainstorming, and praying. I wrote down a simple goal. Develop high-touch support group concept that is a seminar and counseling. Here is the power of writing down a dream, a vision, and then breaking it down into a goal. That simple statement became what we now call Financial Peace University. We have had millions of people go through that class, and it has literally changed millions of lives. Yes, there was a lot of hard work, many great ideas, and tons of frustrations and setbacks along the way, but two decades later, I get misty-eyed looking at that old goal sheet realizing that is where it all began. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision and make it plain. The written goal is the breakfast of champions. You just can't do big things without making your goals specific, measurable, yours, with a time limit, and in writing. Leading with goals. This chapter has a dual purpose, to remind you of material you may have already seen, and maybe most important, to remind you to teach this basic success principle to your team. It is not unusual to have a leader who has become successful due partly to goal setting, who then forgets to continue to set goals, and worse yet, starts demanding that his team set goals when he has none. The moral of the story is don't ask your team to set goals when you have none. Having a dream that moves to a vision, then to a mission statement, and then is broken down into goals is essential to winning personally, but is certainly crucial for the entree leader. What is most interesting to me is how complicated and fun the synergy is that is created by a whole organization actually walking this out. Time for you to sit down right now and make some adjustments. Do it. All right, folks, that is, again, from the number one New York Times bestselling book, Entree Leadership. And I should mention that you can get that book anytime at DaveRamsey.com. DaveRamsey.com, click on the store, and you can get the book and uh, the audio and everything else that goes with that. So do check that out. Well, uh, we are being very intentional, as I said at the top of the podcast, to bring you stories of real businessmen and women who are winning. 
And this is not a glorification of the entree leadership principles. This is a, hey, we know that you folks, as Dave says many times, are the backbone of the U.S. economy. And we know that these principles work. It started out in a card table in Dave's living room, and now it's helping folks like you. So Jim Caval, great guy. He loves the Entree Leadership Principles. He is an avid listener of this podcast. And he's somebody who's been through our Entree Leadership Master Series, believes in it, and is executing that way. And uh, got in early in the fitness area and started this thing called Iron Tribe. So we wanted you to hear some of the story because this will encourage you. Jim, so cool to have an Entree Leader in here. And you're killing it. You're doing great. But before we dive into all of that, I want to get the backstory. How did Iron Tribe Fitness begin? It began really with a dream to connect God's blessing with his purpose and do it through a business, a business that could transform people's lives through fitness. And it started in a garage in Homewood, Alabama. I love that. You love the garage, right? I, mean, I do. Hewlett Packard. Dave Ramsey loves that. Disney. Yeah. Dave Ramsey. Apple. So it started in the garage of my business partner, Forrest Walden, in our neighborhood, Homewood, Alabama. He had been very successful in the fitness world, in the franchising world with personal training, but he kind of lost his passion and realized that he found it again by working out in his garage with a group of men and women from the neighborhood. And so Forrest took a big risk and he started a gym called Iron Tribe and left so-called burn the boats when it came to the 55 personal training franchises that he had. And when he opened up this gym, I was one of the first clients that raised my hand and said, I want to be a paying member of this gym. And it changed my life to the point where I was an entrepreneur, had a technology business connecting high school athletes with college coaches, was doing well, had investors, employees, and a lot of responsibility. But I saw an Iron Tribe the chance to have a business that had discipleship and personal development built in in a way that I couldn't pass up. So I approached Forrest and said, what if I exit my business, whatever that looks like, and together we grow this thing to be a worldwide brand? He said, Jim, that's been my plan from the beginning, but I don't even have a corporate office right now. Where am I going to put you? He said, I'll tell you what, if you open up another Iron Tribe on the other side of Birmingham, Alabama, and we can prove this thing out, the sky is the limit. And so that's what I did. And together, we not only have five gyms in Birmingham, but we franchised it in 2012. And we have 40 gyms open now nationwide, including four right here in the Music City. Yeah, and I just learned before we started recording, folks, that there's one across the parking lot. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to have to be really busting in the gym. We'll keep you posted on how that goes. You have absolutely zero excuses. <laughs> I've already talked to Chris Hogan. I know. Everybody else here, you're going. And if you don't like it, I'll be surprised because you're a competitive guy. I am competitive, but the problem is I'll be with Chris. Chris Hogan. And so you're talking about two different spheres of ability. This guy's back is bigger than me laid out on the ground. You know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting. You know, Eric, the producer, can we get a camera over there at Iron Tribe for me and Hogan so that our podcast audience, who knows both of us well now, they can watch the little weights that I'm playing with and the, you know, the big boy stuff that Hogan plays with. So beyond that, I want to get into what the unique selling proposition is. What's unique about Iron Tribe? I mean, you gave us kind of the backstory and and the how, but you saw something. Entrepreneurs see a problem, if you will, and then they see a solution, they put them together, and they create a business. What's unique? Well, the big thing that's unique is we're in the fitness industry where most brands that grow a lot actually charge a really low fee, 
and expect most of their thousands of people that pay that low fee to just not show up. We're the exact opposite. We only allow 300 people per Iron Tribe Fitness community, and we limit it to 300 people that are paying about $250 a month, knowing that they'll commit, they'll stay, and they'll get results. So the big USP is, in a results not typical world like fitness, at Iron Tribe, results are typical. That's very interesting. So you limit the amount of people. And then you raise the fee, thus raising the commitment. And that's a tried and true principle. Let me ask you this. How long did it take for that to catch on, this idea of, okay, we're only letting 300 in and we're going to pop you for a little bit more money? It actually didn't take long at all. The first location had 200 members within six months, 300 within its first year, and we had a waiting list where now people in the community are finding out, geez, to go to this gym, I actually got to get on a waiting list and wait for people to leave just to get a spot. What's unique to your members about the 300? How does that play out with them? Do they, is it a special feeling? Is it create more community? Why did you limit it to 300? The big reason is we want to deliver a combination of personal training in a group fitness model. And there's no way that if we go beyond 300, we can guarantee that experience. Matter of fact, at a lot of gyms, the capacity is 250. And some gyms are big enough and have the staff infrastructure to go to 300. But after that, you lose that personal experience with your personal trainer, and it becomes something where sometimes you get lost in the group. So our brand promise is to deliver the personal fun and experience inside of group fitness. Okay, very neat. So everybody's kind of working out together? Working out together in a class environment, 15 to 20 people is the max. Some gyms cap it at 15, some at 20. And when you're in this class, you have a guaranteed ratio of one coach to every 10 athletes. So there's two coaches in every class trained by us with a certification that takes three weeks. These are people that this is their career. They're at Iron Tribe because they have the unique opportunity to have a career in fitness. So they have a salary, benefits, and a growth opportunity, which is unique in fitness. All right. So you're a big Entree Leadership fan. You, you're a customer. We, we pour into you. I'm hearing you talk about this, and I'm thinking to myself, this group fitness model there's a wonderful parallel to growing like an all access club, which, you know, again, higher price, but boy, it is all about community. Speak to the power of community. That's what we do. Fitness happens to be the entrance in our model. Financial fitness happens to be the entrance at Dave Ramsey's model. But at the end of the day, the goal is holistic transformation, being better as a parent, as a leader, mm. entrepreneur in your career husband, wife, fill in the blank. And fitness is one of those things that when you do it, you have more energy, you have better health, you have hopefully more time here on this earth, God willing, and you can do more to make impact in your life when you're fit. And so to us, that's the entrance. That's why people come in to get results, but they stay. And the reason we have record low attrition, lower than 3% a month is because of community. What's been a key strategy when you started out to now moving into 40-plus markets? What helped you grow? Well, in 2011, we made a key decision, Ken. Uh, We, at the time, had a really struggling technology platform, and we didn't know where we wanted our most important asset to live. Every business's most important asset is their list. That's right. And so for us, we chose a company called Infusionsoft. And in 2011, we created marketing automation, systems automation, and really an entire operational platform that has helped us reproduce Iron Tribe over and over throughout the years. And it was so good for us that it not only helped us grow from two gyms at the time in 2011 to 40 today, 
but it helped us win Infusionsoft's top user award in 2012, which was then called Ultimate Marketer of the Year. Now it's called Small Business Icon. But my favorite part about Infusionsoft has nothing to do with their technology. It has to do with their heart. Mm. These guys, starting with Clay Mask, the CEO, and their leadership team, have taught Forrest, my business partner, and myself how to be leaders, how to let go and be engaged with the process of entrepreneurship, which they say is letting go, delegating, pouring into others, making them better. They actually have a program we did where Clayt personally taught us this formula of how they went on a 10-year mission to go from where they were in 2006 to where they are now, which is a very large company, very successful, and we've used it to help ourselves. And that tells me that they truly are passionate about small business. And they say that, but they really live it out. Uh, you're a growth guy. You believe in growth. You're constantly growing. That's something we're challenging uh, our listeners, those who are part of All Access and the Entree Leadership events. How do you grow? It's a great question. Every day I have a schedule I try to follow. And my schedule starts with uh, what I'm reading in the morning. And then each day I have a podcast that I'm going to try to listen to while I'm driving gotten rid of satellite radio and I'm either listening to you and your guest or <laughs> some of the other podcasts that are on my schedule. And then at night, I'm a big biography guy. Mm, I want to know what too. made FDR click. Yes, I mean, we wouldn't even be sitting here right now if things didn't go the way they went with World War II. So I want to know what made him click, right? So I'm trying to study biographies at night and that's the way I like to go to bed. And that's, that's my personal development plan on a daily basis, but also I'm a continuing education junkie. So is my business partner, Forrest, and we love to invest in ourselves. We have since the beginning. And so whether it's consultants uh, training us at their house or going to mastermind groups or things like you guys do here at the Dave Ramsey Group, we're subscribers to all that stuff, and it's been a big part of helping us grow. All right, I want you to talk about the long-term vision. Where do you see this thing going? Fast forward 15, 20, 30 years from now. Well, I'll tell you this. We have a three-year, I'll start there, big, hairy, audacious goal. We're on it right now. Our goal is to have 100 fitness communities changing the lives of 15,000 athletes by the end of the year 2017. It's the brand mission. Like I said, the purpose is to create fitness communities that change lives, but the mission is to create 100 fitness communities changing 15,000 lives by the end of 17. But beyond that, I think that this is a brand that has a natural opportunity to be something people take to other countries and use in a lot of different ways to impact cultures. And for us, we, like I said before, one of our core values is to connect God's blessings with his purpose. I feel like this is a brand that we can take to other places and use to spread the mission. So that's been something from the beginning that has been at the heartbeat of this business. I love that. All right, so you understand our audience, a lot of entrepreneurs, small business men and women, people from the nonprofit world, people from the ministry world, all across the spectrum, all united by one thing, that they want to make the most of what they've been given, the opportunity to lead, to grow, so forth and so on. So I want you to speak from your head and heart, final word from you. What would you say from your recent experience, something you're learning, growing, encourage our audience? Think about this. You only have so much time on this earth. You have no idea how much time that is. It's the only thing you really can't control. So if you knew how much time you were going to have, how would you spend every minute to leave a legacy that would live on well after you're gone? Make decisions that can allow you to leave things in the hands of your sphere of influence. Talk to new cultures and people that you wouldn't ordinarily talk to in your disposition based on where you live or 
how you were raised. Meet as many people as you can, impact them as much as you can with the time you're given so that when you're gone, this world has your fingerprints all over it. Love it. That is a great word. I can't wait to walk across the parking lot, start working on, uh, you know, shaping up the old arms. And uh, hopefully I could fit in a shirt like you do right here, folks. He's sitting here in the old studio. It looks like he might as well be an All-American football player. Very <laughs> exciting stuff. But, Jim, hey, thanks, man, for listening and being a part of this, but really coming and sharing your wisdom with us today. I know we're all better for it. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. He is Jim Caval, and uh, we just had our Master Series just a couple weeks ago as I record today. And Jim tried to get me in the gym, and, folks, i got to tell you, schedules did not align, and it's probably good because I would have thrown up all over their nice gym. Uh, I don't know how to go in, Eric, the producer, and kind of moderate my activity. I just go in and think, well, I can throw some weight around, and I would try to impress Jim, and it would have all turned out very badly. So I'm glad it didn't work out, but essentially, um, you know, I had a good excuse. The schedule was too tight, but uh, I'm going to get over there soon and see how I do over there, and I will report back to you if something funny and embarrassing happens. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the Entree Leadership Podcast. We appreciate you so very much. And as I say every time, but I certainly mean, on behalf of Eric, the producer, and our entire Entree Leadership team, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon.